We're in a, a series in First Peter. Yeah, making sure that was up there. And, and we're looking at the idea throughout this book, uh, the concepts of being saints. We're called saints by God uh, if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And saints through suffering. Uh, which again, we just came out of a, a study of Daniel and then Revelation, took a little bit of time in the Proverbs, and now we're back to another suffering book. So you might be sitting there thinking, man, as, as Christians, we've been called to suffer. Uh, there's a lot of things in scripture about the, the tough times that you will go through. But the beauty of it and what we'll see, continue to see here in First Peter, but then also that we saw in Daniel and in uh, the book of Revelation is God loves you. He chose you. He called you. He calls you his own and he will be with you. So no matter what the world is throwing at you, even this week, um, whether it's for your faith or not, know that God is with you all along the way. And so we're, we're going to dive in today uh, and we're going to be in First Peter chapter 2. Verses 11 to 17. Now, before you get too excited about it only being six verses, uh, short section, right? Maybe a shorter sermon. A lot of people preach verses 11 and 12 on their own. So it could stand alone. And I'm going to attempt to attack those couple of verses uh, and then a few verses afterwards. Um, and the title we gave this one was Yes, Your Honor. I wasn't supposed to have flown that in yet, but it, it came in when I put that there. Um, and I was, I was going to tell a little story about, I, I got a speeding ticket in Lakewood and I had to go in. I was going to try to get a deferment because I'm, I'm actually a pretty good driver and I didn't want it on my record. And, and I found myself giving the judge the reverence that I think he deserves, right? He's up there and he's doing his job. And so I found myself saying, yes, your honor, quite a bit. Uh, Mr. Miller, I see you were going X amount of miles per hour in this zone. Did you realize you were speeding? And I, yes, your honor, I didn't realize it was quite that fast, but yeah, I was, well, you know, and then we, we continued on. But what I thought is instead of going in there like, hey, this isn't fair. This police officer shouldn't have pulled me over. I wasn't speeding. I decided to go in with just the right posture, or at least the posture I felt was right, which was to go in and, and say, yeah, I kind of screwed up. Is there anything, you know, is there room in the system to allow me to, to get this deferred, not go on my record? And, and so I gave that reverence. And I think today what we're going to see is Peter's going to encourage us to be a people of reverence. And so as we move into these verses, uh, we'll start in verse 11. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up your Bible so you can take notes right in there, maybe circle or highlight things. If you don't have a copy of God's Word and you want one, we have some copies of the Bible on that back table. You can even get up now if you want to. Go back and grab one. Not only to use today, but you can take that home with you. Make it your own. So um, we will have the words up here. There's great phone apps, but man, it's sure nice having a paper copy of God's word where you can write down some things. Uh, so I want to encourage you uh, to do that. We'll start in verse 11 and, and read through some of this before we dive in and see what Peter's saying to us. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What, what we see here is Peter using the word beloved, again, a term of family. 
And we've seen that throughout these first chapter and a half, almost two chapters, that he's talked a lot about the concept, the idea that you are in God's family. And so when you're living, even though you're dispersed, you're not in Jerusalem, you're God's people, but you're dispersed, you're still part of this family, and that's very important. And and I, I say that's completely applicable to you and I today. If you have place your faith in Jesus Christ, and you are one of God's children, you're a daughter or son of the creator God, you have been called beloved. God loves you. He loved you enough to send his only son to this earth to die for you on a cross. He loves you, and he calls you beloved. And so Peter here is appealing, again, to the familial side, right? And so some of us have great families and we go, yeah, this is really, really cool that God considers us family and and we have a great relationship maybe with our parents or grandparents or our kids. And this is really awesome. Now, some of you come from families that maybe aren't as good and you're sitting there going, well, to me, this doesn't sound like a great thing. Like, I'm not sure about family. I've had a tough time with my own family. I might even be sitting next to somebody I'm having a tough time with, right? Well, this is the perfect family. Being a part of this family allows your family to get better because you become more like Jesus Christ. You're going to change the way that you think about and treat those in your life, especially your family, even when they don't deserve it. And so there's a lot of important stuff to realize here as we're looking at the concept and the idea of family. Now, this is a spiritual family. Obviously, we're not going to the courthouse. We're not changing, uh, you know, our names so that we all have the same last name, right? I mean, we're part of God's family. So even though I think it's just as important, if not even more so in some ways, this is a spiritual family in a spiritual house. If you were here last week, I know Pastor Dave talked about that. The living stones, right, being built on the living stone. Remember Jesus Christ being that cornerstone. And so it's so important to understand that and realize that right off the get-go as we get into this chapter. So you are loved by God. And as you hear these words penned by Peter for us through the Holy Spirit's inspiration today, we want to keep that in mind. So you're loved by God. He wants the best for you. And he's going to deliver a hard word. And that's what we just read there, right? When it's necessary, he is going to deliver a hard word. That's God, right? Through the Holy Spirit's inspiration of Peter, just like a loving parent disciplines his or her child, the same can be same about, uh, can be said about God. God disciplines those whom he loves. Parents, if you love your children, you need to discipline them and raise them so that they understand what is right and what is wrong and why. Don't just tell them no, but tell them why you're telling them no, right? So that they grow and their little hearts are nurtured and they become young people, little boys, little girls that grow into young men and women who understand the concept of right and wrong and why we do things that we do. So God loves those that he disciplines. And and, and so let's look at some of these areas that Peter now urges us today. If the Bible's applicable to you and I, just like it was the first readers, which we believe that it is, here he's giving us some areas of our lives that we need to examine, right? Now, some of these may not be areas in your life that are super fun to look at. 
right? To really like investigate, okay, how am I doing in these areas? Is God calling me to change or to change what I'm doing? Uh, is he calling me to do some things different? And, and so quickly before that, though, he talks about us being sojourners and exiles, right? So we want to look at that real quick. Um, Peter has used these two words already to describe his recipients, those who are receiving the word from Peter because they had been dispersed. They were no longer in Israel. They weren't in Jerusalem. They were dispersed. And so he's writing this letter uh, to the same you know, group that we've already talked about. He's, he's calling them sojourners and exiles again to, to help them remember you are not part of this world. You are called to be separate. You are called to be different. And not only are you not part of this world, but you're not even part of uh, the physical area of your homeland because you have been dispersed by the Roman occupation. And, and so he's, re, he's doing that again to kind of describe who he's writing to. Uh, and this time, I think we see it's not just the physical dispersion that he's talking about. I think he's combining them here and using them here. So we're getting a, a description, maybe even of a spiritual difference between that and that of the world. And so you have called sons and daughters, you are called to be different. We should feel like we don't belong in this world. Our true home is in heaven and we've been called to think differently than the world. And that's what Peter here is trying to explain to him. So these, these literal sojourners and exiled people, these refugees in a foreign land, Peter's also pointing out your mindset needs to be different than those around you. And so because of that, because your true home is in heaven, right, like us, if, if we're honest with ourselves, our true home, our destination is heaven. Uh, we are no longer citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. And so that's going to cause us to think differently about some things. These things we believe are going on uh, should be foreign to those whose citizenship is in heaven. This is what the world does, and we're called to be something different. The things that we value as Christians are not the same as what is valued by the world. And, and Peter's just pointing all that stuff out, and, and so that we know at, when he goes through this list, the, the, the passions of the flesh... And he says that it wages war against your soul, that that should make sense to you and I. He doesn't want you to blow by those words. This is important because it's truly who you are. And, and so if you're young in your faith or if you just haven't moved r far down that discipleship path and you haven't processed this through this, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are called out of something and to something greater. Right, And so you want to wrap your mind around that and say, I'm a changed person because of my relationship with God. Peter wants you to know that, right? And, and, and so he, he wants to make that distinction early and continue to put it into your, into your brain so that you realize that and that you believe that. If there's not a distinguishable difference between your lifestyle and my unbelieving neighbors or your unbelieving neighbors and coworkers, you need to be asking yourself questions, like hard questions. Like, am I living the life that God has called me to live? 
Again, I'm going to point back to the, the Bible. We should be reading this not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. This is our guideline as to how we should walk as Christians. And so we need to know this book. We need to read this book. We need to talk amongst our friends in our community. What does gospel life look like? If I'm a person that's living out the gospel, how should I be different? What should I look like? And, and, and Peter, even in this time, just a few decades after Christ had been crucified, knows that we are called to be a different people. We should look different than those around us. And that difference should be attractive. It's likened to a light. If you're in a dark place and there's light, you go towards the light, right? We're, we're, we're likened to salt. If you have bland food and you can sprinkle just a little bit of salt, you know, I know we all got to keep an eye on the sodium, but you put a little bit of that salt on, it brings out the flavor of the food. That's what we've been called to be. And there's other descriptions of us as believers, right? So they're good things and it should be attractive to the world. We're not called to be, you know, those that are just always pointing fingers and blaming everybody else, but we're called to be an attractive people that, that, that the people come up to us and they want to know what's different about us as we live out the gospel in our lives. So that's what Peter's trying to get to here. He knows there's suffering going on, but he is still going to bring the hard word that you are called to abstain from the passions of your flesh, right? We want to move on in our gospel life and get away from the way that we used to live. So Peter's goal in this section is to provide us with a little bit of critical instruction. Critical instruction on how we deal with different things outside of our life or in our faith walk, right? But also those who are outside of our walk. So not just the way that we might act or should act in comparison to the way the world is, but actually with those people also. So one of the encouragements I want to give to you this morning is as I was studying this week, I wanted to get defensive, right? Because the next section he's going to go into, he's going to be talking about people, right? And I wanted to say, well, this is why I think this way, or this is why I'm tempted to act out this way. And, 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 and it's for these good reasons. And yet Peter is going to say, hey, we need to look at this. I want to bring a hard word because we want you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, but also be ready to engage with those who have not yet followed Jesus Christ, who have not yet followed the way. And so the, the war between our flesh and, and our soul, it can be frustrating. And, and, and for some of you, you might be struggling with certain sins or, or attitudes or ideas. And today I want to say, if Holy Spirit convicts you of those, don't shut him out. Allow him to do work in you and, to, and, and, and allow yourself to be changed because the flesh is at war with your new nature. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are called a new creation, right? I mean, so we have, we're supposed to have changed. And, and when we change, the old flesh continues to pull at us and, and poke at us. 
I don't know about you, but uh, when, when Kevin and I were talking about the sermon this week, we were talking, it, it, the common theme is like when people continue to, to maybe struggle in an area of sin in their lives, they, they cry out to God and say, like, God, I mean, take this desire or this reaction or this temptation from me. Because they don't want to sin, but that temptation comes in and, and, and they, they, they pray for God to take that from them because that would be the easiest. And yet God wants to grow us through the, the struggles and the trials in our lives. There are things that still appeal to me as a person, as a human, yet I know that they're not God's way, that they're sin, that they're wrong. When somebody cuts me off in traffic and I want to respond in a way that's ungodly, right? And we might joke and laugh about that, but those attitudes, that that thought about that person, if it's sinful, it needs to not happen. I've been called to be changed, right? And, and so there are things that are still going to, that are going to be right there that I'm going to be tempted to do in my flesh, but my soul should be waging war against it. That part of me that says, no, I'm changed and I want to be different, right? And, and so there are things that, that might appeal to you that maybe you need to get further from. Right? And so again, we're talking about just kind of laying things out there and, and asking Holy Spirit to do work on you, right? In the moment, we are sure that this is going to bring satisfaction. And then once we do it, we know that it was, it was sin and it doesn't satisfy, right? And, and so I may want to blow up at that driver and it's going to feel good to let it all out. And yet I know that that is a person who was created by God. I have no clue if they were just trying to be a jerk. Or if they're distracted because they're rushing to the hospital to see somebody. Like, I don't know what's going on in their lives. And even if I did, it wouldn't justify me behaving in a sinful way. And so all those things came into play. And, and so as Kevin and I were talking about different things that sometimes are, are those sins that we can't get rid of. Whether it's sexual sin or abusing alcohol or the spiteful comeback. Right? That, you got that quick tongue, right? Or just a little bit of gossip. If we want to talk about that church sin that's pretty well accepted, right? We're all allowed to talk about each other, you know, and we do it. But, you know, we just want you to be able to pray for them, right? So that's why I, I can do it. That. No, that's gossip. We shouldn't be doing that. And somehow we think we're going to feel better by doing it. And we might for a moment. And yet sin is fleeting and it never satisfies. Right? You're either left feeling disgusted and wishing you hadn't done it, or you're left wanting more if you're not in check, if your soul is not in check. And so that's why Peter says this is a battle. This is a fight. This is a war. The flesh, the old mark, is waging war against my soul, my new creation, who I am in Christ. And you can't know who you are in Christ unless you know who you are in Christ. So get into God's word. Go to prayer time with the ladies and talk about it. Read books. Have conversations with your spouse, with your friends. Know who you are. It says, as a sojourner in exile, a citizen of heaven, a new creation, we got to fight the battle for holiness. God has called us to wage war against the world. Those temporary pleasures leave you wanting every single time. If you're walking with Christ, they never satisfy. 
God satisfies. He's given us everything that we need to live a life of holiness. We just have to strive after it and work after it. Right? And that's where we need to be. Sin needs to disgust us. I'll sit up in front of you today and say, I still sin. But my response to that sin needs to be appropriate. If I'm striving for holiness by the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me, I need to be running from sin. And if I make a mistake and I sin, I know it because I'm allowing Holy Spirit to convict me of it. So if Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin this morning, don't push. Don't fight. Allow him to, to bring that to light and take care of that and turn that. This is so important. That's why I spent so much time on it. We're going to continue on here. Uh, the, the second half will go a lot quicker. But he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Well, if you're living for Christ, those who are not living for Christ, right, that don't follow God or, or his plan for them, right? We are called to keep our conduct honorable, right? There are watchful eyes on you and I. If you're willing to say at your workplace or in your neighborhood, I'm a Christian, those who are not Christians, those who don't go to church, those who don't believe in God are watching you. How is this person different from me? And your the way you respond, the way you act, the way you walk forward can either attract them towards God or it can push them away. And we need to know that. What does a non-believer see when they look at Mark Miller, right? Is it attractive? Even if they don't agree with me, even if I've had conversations and sometimes conversation after conversation after conversation with friends and they don't accept God the idea of Jesus Christ and his salvation or heaven or any of those things, am I still attractive enough to be their friend, right? Again, I know it's a crazy idea that we actually should be able to live disagreeing on some things, right? But I have a lot of friends who are not believers. But every time I get together with them, every time I engage with them, I have an opportunity to shine Christ's light on them And then I have the battle of not allowing myself to be conformed to what they do, say, or believe, but to shine my light in in an appropriate way so that they are attracted to that, right? And they see what we're all about. What does our lives, our reactions, our actions tell them about the gospel, that's what I want to live like every day. I want to ask myself, is the, the manner that I'm moving forward bringing, uh, 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 shining a good light on the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Do people look at me and say, that Mark Miller, you know, he, he's, he's an all right guy. And, and then I have an opportunity at that point potentially to tell them what makes me quote unquote, all right in their eyes. Like what is these things that are honorable that you, that that you see in me and how can I then reflect that back to God, the father? Because that's got to be the goal. It's not because I'm doing anything great. Uh, Peter, he's not done here. He really ups the ante by saying we got to be honorable. So Kevin and I were like, what does honorable mean? What, what, uh, what is Peter trying to get across here? So we just, we, we started talking about this. We were looking up some definitions and these are some of the things that, that kind of popped up when we were talking about the word honorable. Beautiful, praiseworthy, pleasing to look upon, excellent, admirable, uh, even comfortable 
comforting to observe. And at first you might want to shy away from those and say, man, no, I mean, that's not me. But you should live a life that is this way. This is what you've been called to do. Again, proper praise means saying it's by the grace of God that I'm a good friend. So if somebody praises you for being a good friend, you get to talk about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what this means, right? And we can go through each one of those. If you live a life that's pleasing to look upon, again, there's nothing wrong with that. God's called you to walk in a certain way. You've allowed Holy Spirit to do the hard work. You're living a good life and people like to hang out with you. Praise God, right? Your life is pleasing to look at. I like to hang out with you. Now you have an opportunity to say, this is because Jesus Christ lives in me. Or you can be quiet and not say a word, but this is why we're saying, Paul or Peter is saying, live an honorable life, one that's excellent, one that's admirable, one that people like to be with. They're comforted when they're with you, but not for your glory, but for that of God the Father's, right? And so we want to do that. When it comes to our contact uh, with unbelievers, when it con- uh, comes to our conduct, when we're with those unbelievers, Peter urges us to set that bar really high. We need to strive for that. And, and why he gives us at the end of these two verses, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It was assumed here that, that uh, by the unbelievers of Peter's time that Christians were evildoers. They were doing something different. They were against Rome. They were against uh, a lot of the things that people in that day and age wanted to do. So they were kind of pushed out to the outskirts of society. They didn't worship a lot of gods, right? They were pointing people towards one god. They didn't give proper worship to the emperor, Right? So especially if you're in exile, you're a sojourner, you've been scattered, and you're under the emperor of Rome, and you're not praising him, you're not worshiping him, you are, you know, you're weird, you're different, right? And and so the worship even looked different. They didn't participate in all the sexual sin that was going on in that day and age, right? There was all kinds of partying, there was all kinds of evil that was going on in the Roman society that's documented outside of the Bible that we know about, and, and Christians were called to abstain from that. They were different. In the world's eyes, they were weird, and yet they were living the life that they were called to be. They didn't fit in, right? They were the, this kind of suspicious, weird group of people. Sounds a lot like what some people think about the, the Christians of today. And, 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 and the way that we are viewed by the world sometimes. But Peter's expectation, God's expectation of the believers was that they would not simply be honorable, but that they would be people of regular good deeds. In other words, be a people that not only are honorable, but that you're doing things that are good. And so when the world looks at you, they don't have a lot of firepower to rip you apart. If you're going against them just for the sake of going against them, and that's what you're known for, they have a lot of bad things to say about you. But what if we were a people who were known for caring for the poor, right? Or welcoming in the disenfranchised, or improving our community, right, that we live in. What if we were known for that as a people, as a church? How would that shine a light differently 
on the gospel. I mean, that's challenging. That's good stuff. Part of the Grace Works uh, vision uh, is, is to accomplish this. And, and, and so we want to increase the reputation of all believers, not just our particular church. We want to reflect well on Christianity and the world church. That means the church that's meeting in, in Old DuPont right now. That means the church that's meeting down the road from there in the warehouses. We want to be known as believers who love our community. And, and we'll do what we can. We'll self-sacrifice to take care of those in our community or those in the, in the communities around us. We here call that service outreach. Now, during COVID, we've had to really tighten up and shut down a lot of our service outreach projects. Well, those are going to start get, kicking into high gear, high gear again. And I'm excited about this. This is opportunities to get out into our community and do good things. Not because we want glory, but we want to reflect Jesus Christ, be the hands and feet. And if someone says, hey, why do you volunteer on this Saturday to come and do X, Y, or Z? You can point them towards not the GraceWorks Church, but towards your Savior. That's what our goal has to be. That's one of our four strategies. Relationships build on grace, and, and we want to get out and into our community and do service projects. Here at Chloe Clark, they call us, they classify us as a user group, right? We pay rent to be here. Um, and, and yet, we always tell them, and the relationship I had with the, the prior principal for the last seven years and this new one over the last couple of years, even though most of it's been COVID, is we don't want to be users. We don't want to just cut you a check and come in here and use this on Sunday morning. We want to be a contributor. How can we help out Chloe Clark? How can we help out what you already have going on here? Our desire is to make the community that we live in a better place because we are here. Right, and so we party with this, or partner with the city of Dupont. We might party with them too, but we partner with the city of Dupont uh, down at our other campus. We partner with the city of Lacey. We'll even go outside of that, and and if we have enough people that are motivated on any given work weekend, we'll partner with the city of Olympia or Tumwater, wherever it might be. The Boys and Girls Club, Safer Place, uh, a ministry for battered women and and their children. Kakua, who uh, who is it's a home for the disabled down in Lacey. We help them out with meals around the holidays and gifts. Um, there's just so many things that we're able to do if we think about our community and outside this wall. And again, it's to bring honor to God's name, right? And so that's what we are, or that's what we desire to be as a church. And as we look at our lives, we have to say, hey, my everyday life, does it point towards a good involvement with the gospel, right? Gospel work that points people towards Jesus' name. We want to testify to the living God. When we do, when we do these things, we can lead others to Jesus Christ, maintain a good reputation, even with people who, who wouldn't normally agree with us, who would even look for reasons to oppose us. If you're doing things that are good in the community, it's going to be harder for them to have things to say about you. But if you're a user and all you're doing is trying to take care of yourself and you complain all the time, and then you say, hey, but I go to the GraceWorks Church, and you're all about yourself... That's not bringing a positive light. And again, I'm not worried about the GraceWorks Church. My concern is what kind of damage can we possibly do to the name of our Heavenly Father? The gospel of Jesus Christ. 
the good news, right? That's what we got to be concerned with. So, um, I've heard a lot of stories about how difficult the culture is becoming, right? Many of us are tempted, if not doing it, and we're looking at the politics of the day. We're disgusted with what we see. We're frustrated, right? Other other people are, are, are fed up maybe with the worldliness that has crept into the church, uh, blatant disregard for authority, um, you know, things that are going on in our public schools. And, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be advocates for good change. Not at all. But let's be known as a people doing good work. And being a part of that change instead of just always complaining. Peter will challenge us with in this next section uh, with kind of a difficult pill to swallow. How we Christians honor these in those in authority, I should say, is a huge part of keeping our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So let me say that again. We as Christians, how we honor those who are in authority. In the Bible, it talks about God placing rulers, kings, emperors, presidents, world leaders into their place of authority, right? So this might be a little bit of a challenge for some of us, right? A little bit of a struggle to understand, to, to allow that to be truth uh, and, and apply that to our lives here today. So our conduct among the Gentiles needs to be honorable. Let's pop into these next couple of verses uh, and see what it has to say. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it uh, be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we, we are called to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, right? Arrange yourself under, yield to, subordinate yourself, right? It's a military term that, that Peter is using here. Place yourself under the authority of. Now, a lot of you out there are soldiers, and we love you for that, and we appreciate you for that, and you understand this a lot better. Even with your frustrations, maybe with your commanders or whatever, you understand this a lot better than we do. Right, Because we don't want to subject ourselves or subordinate ourselves to anything. But you understand how important that is. And that's what Peter is calling us to do. That is the definition of what he is writing here. Right? You might not like to take orders, but orders are orders. Right? And there is a hierarchy in place that must be followed. And why do we need to do that? Because Peter said so? No. Because it's the Lord's sake. This is God's will. Right? You might say, but I don't want to. You know, this current president doesn't represent me or the last president doesn't represent me. Whichever side you're sitting on, right? That's not what Peter says. Hey, if you don't like them, don't worry about it. You don't need to respect them or honor them. No. How about they oppose me? They oppose my beliefs, right? The governor, the mayor, the whoever it might be. They, they're, they're different than me. No, no, no. We are still called to live a certain way. What, what God hears at this point, if you're arguing with God, is I, me, my, right? I mean my, I mean my. Like, this is me. It's all about me. It's important to me. And God's saying, no, it's not. Did you notice the title that Peter uses here for God? He says, Lord, right? Master, ultimate king, big boss. 
This is it. This is the guy that we're acknowledging is, is who we look to. And our attitude towards the Lord needs to be that he is Lord. He is in charge. For his sake, we subject ourselves to every human institution. It has nothing to do with whether they are right or wrong. Nothing to do with their worthiness. Nothing to do with their policies. Nothing to do with the type of government that is in place. Because look what Peter writes here. Whether it be to the emperors as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Peter wants you and I to know that this is all human institutions. He's already said every human institution, but he wants you to know that. So that's what he writes there. And he emphasizes the point by naming some that were in place at that time, right? Like I said, for us, it might be the mayor, it might be the governor, it might be the president, but submission doesn't sound American sometimes, right? To some of us, that doesn't sound very American. I should be able to stand up for what I believe, be verbal about it, and, 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 and be, and stand in opposition, Right? And yet God is calling us to subject ourselves. How can we submit to someone who is evil? That is a valid question. But if you realize what Peter is writing here, right? It's a valid question, but it's one you're going to need to wrestle through. Because look at this. The Roman Empire was being ruled right now by Nero. And we do have some kids in here, so I ain't going to go into a lot of details. But Nero, what he did to Christians is almost unspeakable, right? And if you don't know about it, Google it this afternoon, right? I could go into the details that I've put here and I'm going to choose not to, but he tortured and killed Christians. And Peter right now is writing, you need to honor him. God has called you to live lives that your deeds point towards God the Father, According to the church tradition, Nero would kill the apostle Paul, right? And would also kill Peter. Peter penned these words. Submit to the emperor, the one who ended up killing him. Peter who was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified by, like his savior. Peter was not involved in a hashtag, not my Caesar Facebook club, right? Okay, now he didn't know exactly how his life would end, but he knew what he was doing to other Christians. And yet he penned, honor them. This is a man who was truly changed too. Because you remember back to the garden when Jesus was praying on the night that he was going to go to the cross, Peter grabbed a sword and tried to kill one of the soldiers and only cut off his ear. Okay, he's not a very good aim, right? But this is Peter. And now Peter's saying, you know what? I know what, I know what the emperor's doing to us. Because we love God. Because we're Christians. And yet I'm telling you, I'm calling you to submit to them. It's a tough word. For some of you out there, this is tougher than other words or than other people that are sitting around. You're sitting there going, I just can't. I couldn't last administration or I can't this administration. Whichever side you fall on, this is a tough word. And yet it's here. And so I would be shortchanging you if I didn't talk about this. 
Jesus is the ultimate Lord. He's the one we need to honor. He's the one that we are accountable to. And this is what he is calling us to do. If the government forbid me to preach the gospel, I would still preach the gospel. But other than that, we are called to submit, right? If it's a sin they're calling you to do, you don't do it. But if it's a policy that causes gas to go up a buck or two or three dollars a gallon, we need to move forward. We need to get past that. And we need to live gospel lives that reflect positivity onto Christ and not be known for being somebody that's complaining all the time. The government's not going to require us very often to commit a personal sin. Obviously, if they do, we need to stand up to that. Respect, honor, be subjected to. Why? Verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put silence to the ignorance of foolish people. This is the will of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this isn't my thoughts. This isn't my ideas. This is the will of God. We need to look at our lives. We need to inspect our lives. We need to ask Holy Spirit to do some work in our lives. Have I personally shown honor or hatred towards governing authorities if I disagree with them? That's a question I need to ask myself. And in light of this, if all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness so that I can become the man of God that I've been called to be, I need to consider this. I need to make changes in my own life. By doing good, we can silence those who are against us, who are against the church and who are against the Lord. Let's look at these last couple verses. I promise it'll go quick here. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The verb here used to live as actually reaches all the way back to the former command of submit to every human institution, right? We have to look at this. That's why we brought this section in with those first couple of verses. We wanted to see this all together. No matter how restrictive or repressive things become in our country, we must never forget that ultimately we are the ones who are truly free. And no matter how constricting our government might feel to us or how bad things might get around us, we are exiles and sojourners. We are not of this world any longer. We've been freed, right? We've been freed from the eternal penalty of sin. We've been freed from the bondage of sin, from Satan and and our own self that would take us towards that. And that's why Peter is saying, no, war against the passions of your flesh and become the men and women that God has called you to be. We have the freedom to do what's right, a freedom to love and to serve. We are called to be servants of God. A bond slave is one who is bound to another for servanthood. And that's what we have been called to be bond servants, bond slaves of God. Committed to the will of our master, not our own. 
Peter here is drawing on an Old Testament concept of a servant, uh, and, and it, there's servants that were then freed, but said, no, I'm going to stay, right? I'm going to stay with my master because he has treated me well. And that's what we have been called to do, right? Submitting to God because he is good. He is good. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Peter concludes here with kind of a, uh, a, I think Kevin called it a love and fear sandwich, right? Between the honor bread, right? The bread of the sandwich is honor. That's what we've been called to do. Everyone, even the emperor, right? Rome was crushing Israel at this time when it was written. We must view all in light of their souls. God wants all to come to a, a, a salvation experience with Jesus Christ. Every soul is valuable to God and God wants every soul to repent. Hatred has no place in the kingdom of God. We are called to honor everyone. The meat and the cheese of this sandwich, the love for the brotherhood and a fear of the Lord. Those are things that we've spent time with over the last couple of weeks talking about a genuine love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Is something that I pray for. I pray for you that you will have that same. It's something that we, we should be striving for feel stretched even and fearing God. He is God. He is Lord. We need to respect his power uh, and believe in his love, right? The love that he has for you and I, because that is changing, life-changing, because he is a loving father. What a way to conclude here, Peter's summary of words. And I mean, I can't wait to get into next week, uh, but the, the, those words that are going to kind of sit in the back of my mind the rest of the, this next week as I get ready for next week, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We need to come to the Lord humbly and ready for his correction. That was my prayer for you building up to this morning. Soften our hearts. Holy Spirit, speak to me and then speak to my brothers and sisters that will be here this morning. What way do I need to correct my life? What way can I bite my tongue and work on my heart so that it changes my heart? But even before that change fully takes place, how can I just shut my mouth, right? And quit sinning with my mouth. Honor everyone. Those who think and act and look like you, but more importantly, those who don't think or act or look like you. That's, that's what we've been called to do. And what about other churches? Believers that don't believe like you. Those who might be a little bit different than you. Are we saying good things about them? Are we being positive about them? So honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Hold on and, and walk with a proper understanding of who God is and what he looks like in your life. And then honor the emperor, the government, the officials who work in this United States of America, whether they agree with you on your politics or not. The tough thing is to, to honor those who don't hold to your same beliefs. And yet that's what we're being called to do. We may have in the past, uh, even this week or 
man, even this morning, today, excused our sinful behavior and turned a deaf ear to the Holy Spirit because somebody believes or thinks differently than us. I know that I'm capable of doing that, and I I think if you're honest with yourself, you're capable of doing that, and I think it'll serve us well if we remember that. Let's become a people who honor everyone.